Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. My wife, Mary Danielle, is filling in for Jess. Mary, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is, oh, are you kidding me? I have you all live. My whole <laughs> life is with you. Mary, we're, we're celebrating the octave, first Monday of, of uh, Easter, the octave of Easter. It's almost like our second day of having the celebration and the third day and the fourth day and on because it's such an important feast. And um, we are going to be having a show that's going to talk about the crippling of our children's moral development. And I think it's an important show because we want to show how important it is that our children get good formation. Because one of the problems of our culture is the formation many people got, they got deformation. And they're not, they don't know good from evil. It's really sad. But we're going to be talking about that in the second segment. I also want to have a good to know file Just because we're fighting this battle, it's nice to hear over the weekend that a Texas judge ordered a suspension of the abortion pill, uh, and this is affecting the entire country. So that's that RU486, which is a chemical abortion that, you know, about the 12th week the girl takes it, and it basically uh, causes an abortion because it can't attach to the mother's uterus. And this is a big move. But now other judges in other states in Washington are saying just the opposite. So it looks like this might go to the Supreme Court. But I will say this, Mary. You know this. Our daughter asked me to make a run to a drugstore to pick up some tissues. Well, I didn't go to CVS because CVS is selling that uh, our 486 pill. I went to Walgreens because Walgreens said they're not going to do it. Yeah. So when I bought my tissues, I said, I'm... I'm now uh, a, a Walgreens customer. Uh, you have a frequent flyer program? Yep. What's your phone number? So now I'm in their system. And she said to me when I told her why, she said, yeah, we've had other people do that. So I want to encourage you, our listener, don't go to drugstores that are selling abortifacient pills. Go to, if you have an option, go to one that doesn't and show your support and vote with your wallet. And again, that RU486, you know, people say, oh, this is all about women's health, whatever. Well, no, RU486 kills women. That's right. And they knew that when they're doing the studies. There are women who will bleed to death from taking that pill. <clears throat> and it's not, it's not that it prevents implantation. It, 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 it causes the, the baby that's already implanted and developing in the womb to abort. To, and, and, but it, it does it in such a way that it can cause the mother to hemorrhage to death. It's extremely dangerous. Sure is. Another interesting point, um, Indiana joins the wave of Republican states banning sex change for children. Again, I always say, how can you vote Democratic for the issue of abortion? They're wanting to kill unborn babies. In addition, most of the Democrats want to be able to give kids the option to change their sex. That's very, very sad in our culture. Also, I want to give kudos to the people, the Christians, usually Catholics, that are they're pro- protesting outside CVS Pharmacy. Uh, and God says, keep abortion out of our pharmaceuticals. That's what they signed said. And I want to thank those guys for doing that, standing up for life. You know, Mary, one other crazy thing I didn't tell you about, but, you know, we, we talk about the battle with the culture for good and evil. Mm-hmm. There's a movement calling Easter Sunday the National Chicken Little Awareness Day. Oh, no. <laughs> to try and put any emphasis on 
Oh, heaven. Easter right. Sunday. Right, to take away the reality yeah. of what it's about. So if you don't think there's a battle going on, wake up. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. Was it the, 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 the famous quote, you know, if you don't know that you're in a battle for your soul, you're probably losing it. Yeah, that's for sure, Mary. Wake up. Wake exactly. up, America. We may be losing our battle. Yep. Well, let's get some soul food in our soul. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 28, verse 8 to 15. Uh, Mary Magdalene and the other... Other Mary went out quickly from the tomb, fearful yet overjoyed, and ran to announce the news to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them on their way and greeted them. They approached, embraced his feet, and did him homage. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had happened. The chief priests assembled with the elders and took counsel. Then they gave a large sum of money, <laughs> follow the money, to the soldiers, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came at night and stole him while they were asleep. And if this gets to the ears of the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. The soldiers took the money, did as they were instructed, and then this story had circulated among the Jews to the present day. The gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord, Lord Jesus. Jesus. All right, Mary, Bible with the barbers. Let's get some exegesis on that one. Well, here we go. Um, first of all, this that, that passage starts at verse 8 in that chapter 28. Mm -hmm. And what it doesn't read is the beginning of it. You know, the, the women are going away half full of joy, half over fear. Why? Well, they saw an angel, but what did they see the angel do? You know, Jesus didn't move the stone. The guards never saw the resurrected Jesus. Mm -hmm. What the guards saw was they saw an angel descend from heaven and roll the stone back from the tomb. And that's what happens here in Matthew. That's what's recorded here in Matthew. And that's Mary and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary see. And so they see an angel. Well, when you see an angel of the Lord, if you read in the scriptures anywhere, anyone who's actually seen the angel of the Lord, they're filled with fear. Now that's not a, huh, I'm afraid it's a ghost. I don't know. No, it's, it's an awe. You are so struck with awe because of the beauty and the grandeur because the angel perfectly reflects the grandeur of God. And it's not, you're not seeing God face to face, but you're seeing a reflection of his grandeur. And it's like, <gasps> it, it takes your breath away and yeah. you're, oh my word. And you're just, you're filled with this ah and so this is what they saw and the angel tells him he's not here look come in and look at the tomb he's gone yep. <laughs> and and that jesus didn't need to move the stone to get away and that's you know, the properties of his resurrected body when jesus rises from the dead it's not just a matter of he was resuscitated he doesn't come back to his normal human life he rises and he has this glorious body, this body that is no longer bound by time and space, a body that can walk through walls, a body that you can defy the, rea defy the um, confines of time and space because it's a resurrected, glorified body. Mm. He's living in a new dimension. Yep. And, and by the way, in, I was reading the Navarro commentary, which I think is extremely helpful on this particular passage. I, you know, maybe some people don't like it, but I was just amazed. It's what happens is the only people who see Jesus after his resurrection are those that he wills to see him. So the guards never saw him. The guards never saw him. They saw the angel. Yeah. <laughs> but Jesus didn't. Jesus was already gone. 
He had already risen from the dead by the time the women come to the tomb before dawn on Easter Sunday morning. So he's risen. And St. Augustine makes this incredible comment, you know, in verse 14 and 15 there, where the guards go into the city and they say, this, this angel came from heaven and he moved, the, and he moved the, stone, the stone away. These are Roman guards, you know, and they're stuttering and they're, and they're fearful. And they saw an angel too. And, 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 and when he rolled the stone away, the body was gone. Huh. And the, the leaders, they're like, wait a minute. No, 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 this is This is what he said. He was going to rise from the dead. This is why you were there so that he wouldn't rise from the dead. Uh, what are we going to do now? Okay, here, here's a large sum of money. You take it and you tell the people that his apostles came mm-hmm. and stole his body the night while we were sleeping. And St. Augustine says, wretched craftiness. Do you give us witness who were asleep? Oh, so now we have the witness of the sleeping guards that his apostles came. That's what Augustine is saying. Do we get it, guys? Are we awake? We're going to take the witness of the sleeping guards. The, the apostles who a couple days before flee in fear will now that they have seen him and have eaten and drunk with him become tireless preachers of this great event. This Jesus, they will say, God raised up. And of that we are witnesses. So we're going to believe, are we going to believe the sleeping guards? Are we going to believe the apostles who actually will give their lives as a testimony to what they've seen? The guards never saw the risen Lord. Right. The guards said they were sleeping. So how did they know the apostles came and stole the body? Hmm, interesting. But so, so we have the women coming. And of course, this, the women coming is a testimony too to the fact that the, the poor disciples, they never suspected that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. The only people who believed that Jesus was going to rise from the dead, interestingly enough, were his enemies. The scribes and the Pharisees, <laughs> they go to Pilate and said, we need a guard. Yeah. And Pilate is like, I'm a Roman. The dead we man. Don't, we don't guard dead bodies. Exactly. And they're, they're very insistent. Oh, but he, he said he would rise. And if the apostles steal his body, I mean, this will be worse than fine. You have your guard. Just go with you. You know, psh, I'm done with you. And what happens? Well, the guard, the guards can't prevent God from, and, and it, you know, in some states it says God raised him from the dead and others, because as man, yes, God raised his human body from the dead, but as God, he raised himself from the dead. And Jesus said that, didn't he? In the gospel of John, he said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down freely and I lay it down freely and I have the power to take it up again. It is, he does this through his own power as God. Right. He is truly the God man. And I know this is a great, and it's interesting because we had a listener apparently call us on this. It's like, well, wait a minute. How can God become man? I just can't quite get my, you know, we can't get our head around that. <laughs> if we want to believe that, and I don't laugh, if you want to believe it, ask God for the grace to believe it. It takes the gift of faith to be able to believe that God became man. When we come back, we'll have Fulton Sheen. We're out of time right now for that one. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Got a great quote from Fulton Sheen. You won't want to miss it. Stay with us. Happy Easter. This is the octave of Easter. What a great and glorious time to be alive. And every day this week is a solemnity because we are celebrating Easter every day. Absolutely. You got it. We'll be right back in a quick break. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Mary Danielle filling in for Jess Romero. 
He has the Bible with the Barbers every Friday after the Terry and Jesse show. So I would encourage you to listen to that. Also, Jess sent me this about the resurrection that I thought was really beautiful. He said, yes, today is a game changer. The victory that was wrought today leaves the human race speechless. And the effects of the resurrection can be felt at every Catholic funeral. I got one going to this afternoon. This day turns every frown upside down (laughs) and has given us hope beyond anything this fallen world could ever promise us. May the risen Lord bless you and your family beyond any human measure. Well, that's for sure, Jess. Mm-hmm. One day we will come out of our own graves by the power of the risen Son of God and will be and will hear the voice of his command as he shouts, Free us at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I am free at last. That's our faith. And that's what's so beautiful. And that's why we celebrate this octave of Easter all week long because it's such a game changer. Uh, Mary Danielle, before we get into the topic of the day, I want to bring the smartest guy into the room, Archbishop Sheen. Oh, Sheen ahead. We're going to be talking about crippling our children's moral development. And I picked out a quote from Fulton Sheen that he said 70 years ago on values. The great Saint Bishop Sheen, and I want to encourage you to go to our website to sign the petition to get him beatified. Go to vmpr.org. He says this. Now, we're all called to be saints, right? Okay. Bishop Sheen says, A saint does not put forth any more energy in being a saint than the head of an advertising agency does to get business or an athlete does in training for a fight or a college boy does to get into the fraternity or a woman does to get into a size 10 dress each spring. The difference lies in their sense of values. The simple truth is that it does not require much time to make a saint. It only requires much love. Mm -hmm. The difference, however, is that we are escapists and the saints are not. The saints go all the way, but we hold back. Mary Danielle, I know St. Thomas talks about you want to be a saint, will it? I was just talking to my brother, as you know, yesterday at his home for Easter Sunday dinner. And he said, you know, Terry, Bishop Sheen uses analogies better than anyone on the planet. Yeah. Well, this was an example. Right. He made one, exa- one analogy after another right. that fits. And I think about this in my own life as a baseball player in high school. I, I worked really hard in baseball to become a, a batting champ and all league uh, for, you know, high school. Now, that didn't come by just, will you know, think, oh, I'm just going to, hopefully I'll do the best. No, I swung a bat a couple hundred times a day. I went to the batting cages often. I worked very hard on my hitting, and it paid off. Well, I think his analogy is fair. Where are we putting our energy? Right. And right now, the world has a lot of energy about me, myself, and I. The unholy trinity, when in fact, (laughs) we're called to holiness. And how do we do that? People say, well, do I need to be this great saint that's going to, you know, proclaim? No, you do it in little ways, like the little flower. We do it in our daily duties at our home. If everybody lived the domestic church, why mom and dad and the kids trying to live holy lives, that would change the world itself. Right. And and the deal is that will it, what does it mean to will it? To set 
I set my will to do your will, O God. What is the will of God? The will of God is that we live in union with him. So the, the foundation of the spiritual life is that practice of the presence of God. It's that mm-hmm. constantly being aware that God is present to me. Am I present to him? Am I living for him or am I just living for myself? And I remember talking to some young people one time and I was saying, you know, we're supposed to think about God all the time. And if you think about God all the time, that's just too much work. Mm. And is that's what he said. Too much work. One of the young people said, it's too much work. No, it's not too much work. Where do we want to put our effort? Yeah, we're, we're surrounded by the world that we can see and feel and touch, right? But God is real. Just because we can't see him with the eyes of our body or feel him, he's real. And so we, yes, we have to make a greater effort to be aware of him all the time. And that means that we have to keep reminding ourselves that the things of this world are passing yep. and they're here for us to use to help us get closer to God. St. Ignatius in his first foundation and principle on the spiritual exercises, he said, man was created to praise, reverence, and serve the Lord his God. And by this means to save his soul. Thus, Man should use the things of this world in order to help him praise, reverence, and serve the Lord our God. And insofar as they help him to praise, reverence, and serve the Lord our God, he can embrace them. But insofar as they hinder him from praising, reverence, and serving the Lord our God, he should reject them. So it's that constant effort of weighing what each moment is going to do. Is it bringing me closer to God? Because there's no standing still. We're either getting closer or further away. So we have to keep moving forward. And, and we have to have this value. And what did he, Bishop Sheen said? What is the essence of it? Love. Our relationship with Christ is about love. Mm-hmm. And it's not just Jesus Christ. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the most blessed Trinity, God, who made us, is a trinity of persons. He's a community of love and life. And he loves us. And he made us out of love. And he wants us to accept his love and then return that love by loving him in return. And that means obeying his commandments. Well said. And at the remember, at the end of the day, God is in control. He's not asleep. No, <laughs> this not. is his world. He loves everybody on the planet. This is the Catholic Church and the divine providence is guiding the church through all these rough waters for a final victory. Remember, St. Padre Pio said, pray, hope. Don't worry. And don't worry. You got it. Worry is useless. useless. God is merciful and will hear your prayers. Amen. I recall a story told by St. Pope John the 23rd, having done what he could during the working hours of the day. And he said, as he ended, this is a good story, each day with a simple eight-worded prayer. It's your church, God. I'm going to bed. Remember that. Don't take all the problems of the church and country on your shoulders. Give them to God. He has bigger shoulders, and he will be up all night anyway. anyway. I say this because sometimes we look at what we're going to be talking about right now, It's overwhelming us. Yeah. I mean, we are just like outgunned. But what we really have is we have the faith. The faith. And remember, if God stopped thinking about each one of us listening right now, we would cease to exist. That's how how much God loves you. Mary, I want to bring in this topic now, if we can, unless you want to comment on anything else before we get into the crippling our children's moral development. You and I have talked about this for decades. Yeah. You know, what what children are being bombarded with. Yeah. And, you know, I I say this first to say that children need to understand good and evil. Yes, they do. And and when we tell them these fairy tales and we and these stories that, you know, oh, good over evil, they, this is setting them up to have reality because when they get to be uh, an older youngster, they're going to see evil. 
Right. And you know what? If they can't recognize it, they're not going to be able to fight it. Right. It's one of the problems with the, the Harry Potter books. Matthew mm-hmm. pointed this out. We have an audio set that Matthew did on the trouble with Harry. And one of the biggest problems with that, I mean, there is a huge problem in the fact that, and we had this on the, the witness of a bona fide, a woman who had been a witch. Yep. I mean, literally, she'd been in the occult and she'd been a witch. And she said she did, she had moved up into the upper echelons and she had everything short of human sacrifice. Right. Okay, and she said the spells and incantations in those books are real. But Matthew points out, too, they blur the distinction between good and evil. Right. They make evil look good, and they make goodness look evil. And this is, this is what, in the Bible, it says, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And you think, well, who would do that? We can become so distorted. We can become so blinded by our own desires and passions that we, we don't, we no longer see what is good and evil. And the only thing that's good to us is what makes us feel good. That's not necessarily true. You know, it, Amen. it's not good for me to eat six hot fed Sundays. It, it makes me sick. Right. <laughs> but, but we have to, we have to make this distinction clear. God is good. And the devil, our enemy is evil and sin is evil. Right. Sin is the rejection of goodness. I remember once <laughs> on a Facebook, um, a young person was saying, oh, well, God made abortion because God made everything that is and abortion is, so God made... It's like, no, honey, abortion is the rejection of goodness. God made life. And abortion is the destruction of the good life that God made. God didn't make abortion. As a matter of fact, that's one of the crimes that comes right from hell. There are certain sins that come straight from hell. They're not natural. And that's one of them, is to kill our own children. Yeah. And, and that's, but it's the destruction of goodness. It's the rejection of goodness. Right. And that's evil. Do we recognize that? Yeah. And I always say that never worry about who will be offended if you speak the truth. Worry about who will be misled, deceived, and destroyed if you don't. You don't. In other words, I hear it saying, well, you know what? Let everybody do whatever they want to do. It's, oh. not, my, it's not my life. No. <sighs> that's a cop out. Yeah. And in this article that I'm reading... Uh, that the kids, again, be, begin to learn that they have a task. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, as you know, we celebrated Easter, and I'm sure you met with your family members like we did and had a grand time. And one of the kids had um, a handcuff, a little toy handcuff. <laughs> and our three-year-old grandson was going around arresting everybody. <laughs> and because you're you're arrest, I'm the police. You're He's bad, the policeman. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, good and evil again is being you know lived out. So he knows there are bad people in the world, and that he knows that we have to stop this evil with goodness. And as he grows up, he'll see more and more of that. But Mary, when we come back from the break, I want to uh, give a, a a little statement from a, a mom. In Catholic schools, it was really sad for me because what they're saying, and even in this Catholic school, uh, regarding people who are like uh, transgender or just um, dressing immodestly, that's just who they are. And we can't judge that. And I'm saying, and they're trying to show this as a scriptural teaching. And I want to ask you as our in-house biblical scholar, mm-hmm. how wet they are on that one, because uh, this was just phenomenal, what I'm going to read to you. But I want to remind you also, the Spiritual Warfare Conference from two weeks ago, people are still 
talking about it with Father Chad Ripperker and Bishop Joseph Strickland. The recordings are available if you go online, go to catholicrc.org, and you can download the talks. Or if you don't want to do it downloading and you want to have a thing, you know, it's just difficult, we, we, we'll work with you. Call 877-526-215 and we can walk you through doing that because Several people have said, it's not that easy. Well, mm-hmm. fine, we'll help you get that. And then you can show it to your parish, those videos, because Father Chad and Bishop Strickland was all on the family and how to protect the family spiritually. Yeah. So it's a huge topic. And I would encourage you to get it and show it not only to your parish as a Bible study or rosary group, to anyone who will listen, because a truth is what sets people free. All right, when we come back, a letter... Uh, typical uh, Catholic website that's going to tell the children to do the thing that we're asking them not to do. Why? Because they have false compassion. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show. Mary Barber sitting in with the Bible with the Barbers. She's sitting in for Jess. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back, Terry and Mary Barber. I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, I'd be a billionaire. We're talking about the crippling of our children's moral development by not distinguishing between good and evil. And Mary, I want to read this website. I won't say where I got it, but it's about a Catholic website just trying to tell children that you shouldn't judge anybody's actions, basically. It says, that uh, my daughters, that if they see someone, this is what they said, if you ever see someone who looks or acts differently than, uh, than you, they, they are used to such as someone who's a, like a transgender or homosexual person, they need to show them the same love and respect that they show and any other child of God, for indeed this is what they are, rather than someone who is different. They can see a brother or sister in Christ. So don't bring up anything that, you know, you're not living a, anything according to you know, the gospel. So here's the challenge, and I'll throw it to you. The travesty of modern religious formation in many places is to neutralize all behavior. See, there's no right or wrong. All vocabulary, all human self-presentation, human behavior is supposed to be judge a free zone. This is done in the name of love of neighbor. Following Christ. You see how they misuse this? Not judging a little boy who feels uncomfortable with another boy who dresses like a little girl is taught that he should not judge and that he is mean if he does so. A girl who seeks a hulky guy uses the ladies' restroom is a bigot if she feels threatened by him for just using the toilet. Do you see how messed up we are, right and wrong? That's not a world biblical view. Your thoughts? No, it's not a world biblical view. And in the Bible, uh, St. Paul writes, and this is, remember, this is the Holy Spirit who's writing, who's inspiring St. Paul. He said, we, we love the sinner, but we hate the sin. There's the distinction. And there is, yes, we, we treat all people with respect and dignity. Of course. But treating a person with respect and dignity means to present them with the truth. That's right. And if someone is gender confused, yes. they need to be presented with the truth. You know, people become gender confused for um, several reasons, I suppose. 
Uh, one of the major reasons for men to become gender confused is the lack of a father figure. That's in their right. Life. Dr. Cameron, he told and us that. Doctor, well, that was Dr. Nicolosi. Yep, him the, too. Dr. Cameron discovered that two out of three boys whose first sexual experience yep. is with another male yep. will turn out homosexual. Yep. Okay, two out of three. And that's what happens. And especially what's interesting is the two things seem to go together. Yep. As soon as the father disappears from the family, the boys start to be molested by men outside the family. Yeah, no one to protect them. They're vulnerable and they get molested. And this is um, time and time again. You can go through countless examples of where this has happened. And then, but, but that gender confusion is not the truth. It's not who they are. Our sexuality is in our DNA. Yep. You know, you have the XY and the XX, X, no, XY and Y, Y. I, I, yeah, I think so. I this Most all makes up. Yeah. Um, male and female, and you're mm-hmm. one or the other, and it is in your DNA. There's no in between. I, I remember Ben Shapiro one time was was talking to the, the, he was on this panel, and this there was a homosexual and a doctor who was in favor of homosexuality, and everybody but Ben was in favor of homosexuality, and he was talking to this man who who is actually considers himself a woman, and Ben would not call him a she. He kept calling him him. And the man was really offended. And he said, if you say that again, I'm going to be so angry at you, whatever. And, and Ben said, look, it's in your DNA. And the man said, no, it's not in my DNA. And the doctor who was actually in favor of this person becoming a woman, but that was not a woman. He said, well, actually it is in your DNA. <laughs> so it's like, okay, so the doctor's lying to you. He's saying, you can go ahead and identify as a woman, but you're really a man. And I know that I'm a doctor and you're a man and you'll always be a man. But I'll, if you want to identify as a woman, I'll, I'll let you live that lie and I'll Try and make you feel good about it. Trying to make people feel good about living a lie is not compassion, and it's not honesty. Yeah, the most merciless thing to do to somebody is to let them wallow in their sin. Father Bill Casey would say that to us. You know, Mary, what this is doing is it's warping a child's natural ability to react to these things properly. Right. And when it's we, warping them. We're supposed to, when we see evil, we're supposed to work against it. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean we fight people or beat them up, but we teach the truth in love, and our children need to be taught yep. that there is good and there is evil, and to, to reject God's law is evil. Now, some people aren't, for some people, this isn't a sin in terms of, did they choose this tendency? Right. No, and the tendency itself is not a sin. That's for sure. What's a sin is when you act upon it. So if a man feels like he's a woman because some reason he doesn't want to be a man, and then he acts upon that, then he's trying to live a lie. And he needs to be told, honey, you're a man, it's in your DNA, and I'm sorry for whatever confusion happened to you or whatever circumstances it was that caused confusion in your life, but you need to try and get back to reality because you're not living in reality. And that's insanity, by the way. And you know, Mary, this insanity goes even to the point of not just male and female, but I've heard people say, you know, I'm five foot five, but I'm going to believe that I'm seven foot five. <laughs> and I hear people say, well, if that's what you believe, then yeah, I, okay, who am I to tell you that you're not seven foot five? Okay. And that's <clears throat> just the facts. And the facts about life uh, are there. And we have a culture a woke culture that says, no, 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 Uh, we make up the truth. So we don't believe, this is my take, they don't believe in objective truth. And they don't. And what's interesting, you know, when you bring up that that example, it it brings to my mind, and I'm a monkey's uncle, right? Mm -hmm. So the the whole thing of the Darwinism and teaching people that they evolve from animals. Right. The Catholic Church has always taught that God directly and immediately created 
the first man and the first woman. And that, that from one man and one woman, the entire human race descended. Right. And that man and that woman, by the way, weren't ignorant ignoramuses. They, were, they had infused knowledge, infused knowledge. They had a knowledge of the nature of all things. They were incredibly intelligent. Now, when they sinned and lost that gift of infused knowledge, their children wouldn't get it, but they could pass on to their children the knowledge they had. And they're discovering that, you know, like the, the, the pyramids of Egypt and certain, certain, these certain stone formations that are out in, in the, the middle of nowhere, that these, these things absolutely correctly predict astrono- astrological, astronomical, mm-hmm. astronomy, mm-hmm. the astronomy things that are going to happen in the sky that that these these ancient people knew mm-hmm. and they could they could figure out things almost as as good as our computers can and you're like well how did they get this knowledge because adam and eve were had infused knowledge they knew the nature of things and they couldn't pass that on to their children because that was a gift that was given to them from god and when they sinned they they lost that gift it wouldn't be passed on to their children but they had knowledge that they could pass on and so the ancient peoples, man didn't descend from the animals. Right. It didn't happen. And that's a myth. And because that myth has been taught and believed in our schools for almost a, over 100 years now, it, then, then what follows from that? Well, if man's just another animal, he can act like the animals. He can do this. He can do that. And people even use that example. Well, the animals do it. Why can't we do it? What, yeah. what animal is made in the image and likeness of God and has an immortal soul that was made for union with God? Yes. We weren't made for mediocrity. We weren't made for debauchery. We were made for union with God. Right, but the world is telling us this is one life, and when you die, there's nothing after this death, after death, and that's a lie, and that comes right from the devil yes, because does. he wants you to believe that you are just a, just like the dog or a cat or a bobcat, whatever it is out there, an animal, like you just said, and that you don't have a supernatural vision. And this is what the world is really pushing hard. And that's why we as Catholics, especially us Catholics, we know the solution to the world. Think about what's happened when we've thrown God out of the culture. Amen. Look at the suicides. Look at, I mean, I can just name things off the top of my head where, uh, like in the Netherlands, about... Uh, one out of 20 people who die, die because they committed suicide. Oh, They've lost the will to live. Jesus mercy. And so uh, we have right now suicide in America at its highest level for teenagers. Yeah. Now, why is that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test to say that they've been given uh, no hope. No hope. They've lost their hope because they don't know their children of God. Right. They think that their life is not worth living right and they're, they're taught they're taught to live for pleasure yeah. and you know it's like oh well this will bring you happiness well pleasure brings you temporary happiness and often leaves you with great guilt and sadness afterwards especially if it's ill-gotten pleasure right. and so yeah they're, they're lied to and then they try and live that lie and then they're they're in depression Yes. Because, and, you know, it's just interesting because Carl, even Carl Manager, who was not a Christian, Jewish he, man. he said 20 percent, no, 90, excuse me, 90 percent of all the mental illness that he was familiar with. And he had been the president of the American Psychological Association was traceable to the loss of sense of sin. He said God is real and he loves us. 
So when we commit a sin, when we offend God, the guilt that we feel is real guilt because we've offended someone who loves us, someone that we should love because he's blessed us so much. And so, yes, we feel guilty. So the, re- the way to resolve that guilt is to say, my God, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, and I want to do better. And the other thing is don't despair. If you're struggling against a sin or an addiction, or don't despair. We have saints in the Catholic Church who, who became saints and yet didn't overcome the addiction. Yep. You know, people who had angry were, had a- bad tempers, but they learned to channel that and, and not give in to the anger with their will. Remember, sin is in the will. It's not in the body. And that doesn't mean we're dualists, that I can do anything I want with the body and just say, oh, well, I don't know. No, I set my will to do God's will. But if I fall, I simply humble myself before God and say, God, I'm sorry. I want to do better. Mark G. Tianxian, it's T-I-A-N-X-I-A-N, and I probably butcher the last name. It's a, but he died a martyr in the Boxer Revolution. Right. He was an opium addict. Not because he chose to be an opium addict. He was a medical doctor who served the poor for free in the 1800s in China he developed a stomach ailment in his mid-30s and he started treating the pain with opium and he became hopelessly addicted to it. He was a Catholic. He kept going to confession and Mm. communion. And after two years of this addiction, in those days, the 1800s, they didn't understand the nature of addiction. So the priest said, if you were sorry, you would give it up. Mm. And I can't give you absolution, so you can't go to communion. Unbelievable. Hey, someone's going to ask, what's the name of that Carl Manager's book? It's Whatever Happened to Sin by Carl Manager. It was published in the early 70s. Archbishop Fulton Sheen quotes it quite a bit in his talks. When we come back, we'll continue to talk about this whole issue about the crippling of our children's moral development. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back. Jesse will be back tomorrow. If you're just tuned in, we're talking about the crippling of our children's moral development in our culture, and it's creeping in even to some of the Catholic churches that are that are kind of just uh, compromising when it comes to moral teachings, whether it's abortion or same-sex so-called abor- uh, marriage. We just need to hold on to the truths of our faith. When What Bishop Strickland talks about, the perennial teachings of the church, that's our role model here for Virgin Most Powerful. Mary, before we get back to the topic, I don't want to forget the Bible with the Barbers, which really is Mary Danielle's Friday show after the Terry and Jesse show. You take a world biblical view, but I'd like to take a minute or two to talk about uh, encouraging our listeners to listen to your show once a week if you want to have like a little Bible study or you'd like to get a biblical view on different topics. Can you share a little bit about that? Well, we, we go through the scriptures, and I'm not systematically going through the scriptures. I will take topical things or current current events and try and look at them and explain to people what does the scripture really teach us about this. Mm. And, you know, the scripture is not, <laughs> it's not up for grabs in terms of... Um, I can all, we can all create our own church. Jesus founded a church and the church is the authentic uh, interpreter of the scriptures. Now the church hasn't solemnly defined what every verse of the Bible says, Mm -hmm. but some of it is self-evident and and it is all rooted in one reality. And that is to love the Lord, our God with our whole heart, mind, and soul with all our strength and will, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And as Jesus said, to love one another as I have loved you. And love is not about a warm, fuzzy feeling or making everybody feel good. Love is about 
truth. And truth and love are not opposed to one another. Mm. We want to know the truth because the truth will set us free. And we have to live the truth. And the truth is we're made in God's image as persons to be loved. And we need to live up to our dignity as human beings. We're not animals. We're made in God's image. We are persons. And God made us for greatness. He made us for union with himself. Mary, also, folks who, who would benefit from this Bible uh, with the barbers would, those, would be those who want to understand uh, the real uh, teaching of the church on the inerrancy of Scripture, that the Bible is something we can trust. Right. Because we hear a lot of people, even inside the church, that say it's just mythical, it's not true. And it seems to me that that's one of the big problems with a lot of what we call heterodox you know, theologians. They say things like, oh, well, I know what St. Paul says about homosexuality, but he got it wrong. It's not true. We've developed on. So I want to ask you just to take a minute or two here to talk about, because I think this will tease people to want to hear the show. What does the church actually teach about the inerrancy of Scripture, and does it still teach that? Yes, the Church does still teach that, and I would I would suggest that you read the Second Vatican II document, yeah. um, Dei Verbum. In addition to that, read Pius XII's Humani Generis. The Church does teach that the Bible is inerrant. The original texts are without error. Now, that's without historical error, without scientific error, without... Um, it's not just spiritual error. It's There are no errors in the scriptures. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the author. He's the yeah. primary author of scripture. He inspired real men to write and they acted as real authors. He's not, they're not channeling, okay? They're acting as real authors. So they, they write within their own limitations. They're writing the word of God in the words of men, okay? But it really is God speaking mm-hmm. and, and God speaks to us through his word. And we need to believe that he speaks to us. And the church teaches us that, yes, the scriptures are inerrant. They don't, there are no errors in the scripture. There are difficulties. There are passages that we have to reconcile. That's the work of the, of the scripture scholar. Not to deny the reality that God is the author and that God cannot lie. Well, Mary, this is great. And I'm going to throw another one at you because I think it's important that we are literate when it comes to the Bible. And, you know, I know that our other show, Gary Machute on Apologetics, deals with uh, the books of the Bible and why we have different numbers than the Protestants. So they've left seven of the books out, why we have seven more. But also, I think what you do on the Bible with the Barbers that's really critical for mom and dad who are listening is you take the scriptures and apply them to daily living, which I think is just incredibly important today. And again, I mean, I've heard... Scott Hahn say it's our family heirloom right. that we need to be reading the Bible. So I would encourage, I know Lent is over and we've done our Lenten penance and we're celebrating Easter, but um, it seems to me the church is going to be reading from the Acts of the Apostles right. in this liturgical year coming up right now. And I would, would it be a good thought, and I'm just throwing it at you for our listeners, that it would be good for them to open up the Bible to the Acts and see how the early church operated after the news of the resurrection. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, you know, it's critical. It's yeah. Lent is over, but that doesn't mean our life in Christ is over. Our life in Christ has just begun. Now we're supposed to be living more fully. Every Lent, we're supposed to be growing in holiness and then 
follow up with the Easter season. And yes, every Easter season, we read the history of the early church in the Acts of the Apostles. And yes, it is real history, just like the, 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 the scriptures that... Um, the, four, the gospel, which is a fourfold gospel. It's a single gospel that has four aspects told by, told by four authors. But the early church always saw it as one gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's living and effective. It pierces more surely than a double-edged sword, we're told in the book of mm-hmm. Hebrews. So let, let the word of God pierce through our, our attachment to the things of this world and to our own sinfulness and even our own preconceived notions you know, some people say, well, I, I understand that God is our creator and that makes that's I'm comfortable with that. But I couldn't understand how God became man. Well, if you want the gift of faith, ask for it. And if I'm only worshiping a God that I'm comfortable with, then I'm not worshiping God. I'm worshiping my idea of God. And what we want to do in scripture study is to allow the living word of God to affect us and change us. Well said. I couldn't have said it better. That That's so beautiful. And that really applies right now in this octave of Easter, uh, you know, we're, we're really seeing the effects. I mean, it's like Jesse said, it's a game changer. Amen. When, when we're talking about what other religion, whether it's Islam, Judaism, whatever, uh, that has the God-man, and raise, a dead man rises and says, we're going to follow him, and that one day we will rise from the dead. I mean, this is uh, like never before ever been presented in that case and so I say that by reading your daily Bible, and if someone makes a commitment right now, so be it, and listening to the show, I want to encourage everyone to try listening this Friday. And again, you know, you don't even have to do it on Friday with the t- technology of podcasts. Yeah. You can go over to vmpr.org. You can download the free app, which is not, it doesn't cost you anything on your phone. And then you have access to all of the Bible with the Barbers shows and their by title. Not only do you get that, but all the other shows that we have. Yeah. See, this is critical that you you get the the app, and it's uh, free by going to vmpr.org and download the app so that you have access to all this. So you don't have to listen Friday afternoon. Right. It's more like whenever it's convenient. When it's, yeah, when you can do it, according to the duties of your state in life, when, it, when it's possible for you to do it. Yeah. Last thing I want to talk about, because it is the octave of Easter, is that we are a resurrected people. We, I, I think about in this week, like where I'm going, I have to go to the repair shop. I have to go, you know, different places. I'm going to go to the restaurant with you for lunch, celebrating Easter. I'm going to tell those people, Happy Easter. Happy Easter. And what's so funny, my wife knows this <laughs> many times, that, that was yesterday or that was Sunday. No. And so we, it gives us an opportunity to share the octave of Easter. And many people have never heard that. Right. And I think I want to ask our listeners to be bold. Yeah. Share that. Say Happy Easter all week long. We're still celebrating Easter. And the season goes on for seven more weeks. Yes, until Pentecost. Until Pentecost. So, yeah. And so this is uh, really a great opportunity I think, to show people the, the gospel in a world that acts like God doesn't exist. I, I've always found that when it, when it comes to sharing the gospel with secular people, they're actually kind of stunned. They look at you like, what? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. You, you said what? Yeah. And you have to explain it. But that's okay. Yeah, yeah. They need it because we've had amnesia. Many people have forgotten the meaning and purpose of life. And if we could share that with them, that would be grand. Right. Mary Danielle, final thoughts on what we can do to live holier lives. 
Well, and again, on our topic today about protecting our children from mm-hmm. this moral degradation, part of it has to do with be very careful about the music they listen to, mm-hmm. the the videos, w- games they play, the, right. the, the television shows they watch, the movies they watch. A lot of these things have subliminal messages. They they eliminate God from the picture. Yep. And, of course, the music itself is very disordered. And so by listening to disordered music, disordered music can predispose us to choose evil. It can never make us, but it can predispose us because music enters the soul without your permission. That's a good point. And so it, it, if the music is disordered, it's already moving you in a direction to want to choose something that's disordered. We want to live in union with God by living in union with the will of God, which is to keep his commandments. And his commandments are there to give us freedom. Yes. He loves us. He knows what will make us happy. The commandments, keeping the commandments is what's going to make us happy. Is it hard sometimes? Yeah. We have passions. We have desires. We have a disorder in our, because we have concupiscence. Because of original sin, there's that concupiscence. There's that tendency to choose evil. It's easy for us to do what's evil. It's hard work to do what's good. It's arduous. But we need to do that arduous work of keeping ourselves in check to make sure that we're following God's plan. And are we protecting our children from ugly toys, by the way, which break down their natural sense of modesty, which break down their natural sense of what is good and evil? If they're playing with ugly toys all the time, how are they going to recognize and if they played it with it as a toy, then when ugliness comes up, it's like, well, it's just a toy to play with. Yeah, well said. And I want to just encourage our listeners that uh, there's only the only value in saying yes to God is that you have the freedom to say no. So we can't force anything on anyone. We can encourage them to come to a knowledge of Christ, right. reading the Bible, seeing the church teachings, those perennial teachings. And if they reject it, that's on them. So I, I always say that to people. What happens if they say they don't like it? Well, okay, come on, get over it. I mean, we can only present the faith, and people have to decide whether they want to accept it or reject it. Mary Danielle, if you were Jesse Romero, which you are not, <laughs> I would ask Jess, what state should we be living in, and what do you think he would say? The state of grace. <laughs> and how do we do that, Mary? By living God's will, keeping his commandments, going to mass, saying our prayers every day, going to confession on a frequent and regular basis, pray your rosary, make Eucharistic holy hours. Well said, and remember I end every show with Our Lady of Fatima. Please, let's live that message. Pope Paul VI called Fatima a reaffirmation of the gospel. What does it say? Souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices for them. We can participate in the salvific work of Jesus Christ on the cross by offering all of our sacrifices to him for the salvation of souls. Sign me up whether you're four years old or 104. We all can participate in this great work of the church. How many people have missed out on wasted pain? What? Yeah, where they forgot they can offer it to Jesus. Let's get that message out. God bless you and your family.